Hello, Oman, Kabichiwa. I am your host, Daniel Gumby Rinlin, and this is the Prelim Primer, the one and only podcast fully dedicated to the curtain jerkers. I, of course, am talking about those fighting on the prelims of upcoming UFC fight cards. This weekend is UFC in Columbus. That's right, we are back with live crowds in the United States. It's headlined by Chris Dawkins versus Curtis Blades. But of course, those of you who frequent the show know you will not be hearing any breakdown of that fight or any of the other fights on the main card because this is the prelim primer where we only give you the breakdowns of the prelim portion of the card. Now, for those of you who might be curious as to why we're only breaking down the prelim portion of the card, the answer is quite simple. The answer is we know you know who Curtis Blades are and Chris Dawkins and Matt Brown and Brian Barberena. But we know you probably don't know a lot of these names on the prelims, and that's where we're here to help you, whether you're playing daily fantasy sports, or maybe you're gambling, or maybe you just want to win that pick'em contest, we're here to help you with the fights that you probably don't know all that much about. Now, before we get started breaking down these fights, I do have to mention that this episode of the Prelim Primer is brought to you by Maroon Social, M-A-R-U-N-E. Maroon Social is the one and only social media app for the martial arts enthusiasts. Whether you do kickboxing, judo, sambo, or jiu-jitsu, make sure to download Maroon Social to up your training sessions. And of course, I'll be talking to you a little bit more about Maroon Social later on in the show, so make sure to tune in for that. Now, uh, usually I'm joined by a co-host, but once again, I am flying solo this week. It was a little bit difficult with the timing. So, I'm going to get you guys right into the breakdown of this prelim card right now. So, uh, we start each and every round by putting five minutes on the clock. And I'm going to start this round by talking about a fight I'm very excited about, and that's Jennifer Maya versus Manol Firo. So first of all, Jennifer Maya, one and two in her last three fights. She's coming off a knockout, or uh, coming off, not a knockout loss, a decision loss to Kaylin Chokagi, and that fight was only back in January. So a quick turnaround here for Jennifer Maya, who's actually kind of taking this fight on short notice. Uh, Manol Firo was, of course, supposed to fight Jessica I a couple of weeks ago. That fight got canceled due to I uh, sustaining a foot injury. And meanwhile, Jennifer Maya kind of steps up and takes this one. Uh, with only about two weeks to prepare. Manolfi Rowe, meanwhile, is setting the world on fire. She's 3-0 in the UFC with two knockouts. Uh, she's coming off her only decision win, which was over Mario Buena Silva, that fight back in October. Obviously, this is a huge step up for Manolfi Rowe. That's the storyline here to talk about. Jennifer Maya is the number four ranked women's flyweight in the world. So, of course, this is going to be a lot tougher of a, a fight for her. With that being said, I'm still riding with Manol Firo here, and for a lot of reasons. The biggest one being her takedown defense. If you've watched Manol Firo both in the UFC and on the regional circuit, you know she has stellar takedown defense. She's a great hips. She does a great job of using her footwork to keep her far away from those takedown attempts. And let's face it, Jennifer Maya on the feet here versus Manol Firo, it's a wash. Manol Firo is an elite-level striker, especially for the women's flyweight division. Jennifer Maya, mostly a grappler who can, you know, hang a little bit on the feet here, but I don't see her being able to give Manolfi Rowe any trouble, which is sort of why you see the odds so exorbitantly high here on Manolfi Rowe. So uh, my official pick here, I'm going to take Thoreau, and I'm going to say also she gets it done with a knockout. I'm going to say she piles on those strikes. Uh, we've got another women's fight in our second one, and that's Sarah McMahon versus Carol Rosa up at Women's Bantamweight. Uh, McMahon, one and two in her last three. She's coming off a loss to now champion Juliana Pena by rear naked choke. That fight was in January of 2021. So we're talking about quite a long layoff here for Sarah McMahon. Rosa, meanwhile, very quietly, 4-0 in the UFC, all of them being by decision, which might be part of why it's been so quiet. She last, of course, beat Betch Kohea back in October. 
So the interesting facet of this fight for me is the idea that obviously Sarah McMahon is a very talented wrestler, and Carol Rosa, I don't I don't know if, if if complacent on the bottom is the right word because she does look for submissions, but she she's complacent in her ability to get back up. She would sometimes when she gets taken down, she's not all that urgent in getting back up, and and I think that could be a big problem here. But with that being said, I actually still like her in this fight. I think she probably stays away from Sarah McMahon's takedown attempt. She keeps her feet. Um, and if she does that, I, I do think she's a much more talented striker. So I'm going to take Carol Rossi here. I'll take her by decision. And that brings me to my last fight that we're going to talk about here in the first round. And that is Chris Gutierrez versus Danal Bakarel. Uh, not Danal Bakarel. Bakarel uh, Danal, I guess, is the, the appropriate way we're supposed to do it unless we Americanize it. So Gutierrez, 5-0-1 in his last six. He's got a split decision over Felipe Colares back in October. Bakarel, three-fight winning streak, including all three of them being first-round knockouts. He most recently knocked out Brandon Davis back in October. So uh, the the breakdown for this one, pretty simple for me. Chris Gutierrez, a much more technical striker than Dana Bakarel. Uh, he, he picks his shots much better. He keeps his distance much better. He's a guy who knows how to find little tiny openings and to land leg kicks and things like that. We actually saw him pick up a TKO via leg kicks. Bakarel, meanwhile, just throws those bungalows. He, he absolutely throws hammers out there, going for the knockout, seemingly on every single punch, every single strike, every single time. Um, so I guess it just comes down to whether or not you think Gutierrez is going to be able to stay away. Gutierrez is going to be able to keep that distance the whole fight, 15 minutes doing that with uh, Bakarel Dana. And, and I think the answer is no. I, I, I think Dana probably lands that big shot somewhere in there, even if he's getting beat the whole fight. Uh, and, and I think ultimately it's going to win it for him. So, yeah, I'm going to go with uh, Dana Bakarel. I'm going to say he gets a knockout. I'll, I'll say Gutierrez stays elusive enough to make it to the end of the first early second round, but I think he gets it there. And that's going to do it for the end of our first round. I'll take a quick break, and I'll be right back with round number two. Well, as promised, I'm going to give you a little bit of what I love about Maroon Social here during this commercial break. One of the things I love about Maroon Social is the ability to log your competitions. So many times I wish I could look back and see my record in certain competitions or with certain submissions. And I didn't have Maroon Social back when I first started training. A, because it wasn't there, but B, also because I didn't know. And so now I got Maroon Social. I've got a laundry list of competitions I've been in and how I won, little notes on things I'd like to do different telling you it's like having your own tapology page right there in the palm of your hand get one for yourself go download maroon social wherever it is you download apps all right and we are back with round number two i'm gonna put another five minutes on the clock and we're gonna start this round by talking about matthias nicolau versus david dvorak so Nicolau rehired by the UFC and since then has won two straight. He beat Manel Kopp and Tim Elliott, two very highly touted fighters in the flyweight division. Dvorak 3-0 since coming to the UFC. He most recently rear naked choked Juan Carlo Ronderos. That fight was back in May. Of course, that was a last minute replacement fight. So maybe not the best for his stock, but he is still kicking around the top 15 and pretty impressively. Now, I think the big difference maker in this fight is what we think is going to happen in the grappling. Because on, on one hand, David Dvorak, great job at keeping his feet. The, the dude just does not go down, uh, both because he's a good wrestler, but also because, uh, you know, like I think he's a good striker, and that does it in its own right. Um, he doesn't attack a lot with the grappling, and I think it's very unlikely that he's going to try to attack with the grappling here, because 
I don't know that he wants to be on the ground with Matthias Nicolaou. Nicolaou is an absolute beast when it comes to submissions. He's got that Japanese necktie back in the day uh, that I, I was really, really all in on. He, he's just looked like a really tough dude to beat when it hits the mat. So the question is, is does it hit the mat? Does Dvorak do enough on the feet to win there? And, and the answer is, I'm going to say that I actually like Nicolau, even if this stays on the feet. You know, Matthias Nicolau is no slouch when it comes to striking either. I also think it's worth noting that, like, you know, David Dvorak is, is probably a little bit more passive when it comes to grappling. So as a result, if this does come down to a decision, I like Nicolau having just attacked a little bit more for the entirety of the fight. So, yeah, my, my pick here is officially going to be Matthias Nicolau. I'll say it gets it done by decision. Decision? Yeah, decision. Uh, and that brings me to my next fight, which is Neil Magny versus Max Griffin. Magny, 4-1 in his last five fights. He's coming off that win over Jeff Neal back last May. Max Griffin, here's a quiet fact right here. Three-fight winning streak for him, including beating Carlos Condit by decision back in July. So the interesting thing for this one for me is, you know, like, when we talk about Neil Magny, we always talk about Neil Magny being incredibly tall, right? He's long, he's lanky. And it's difficult for a lot of people to deal with that length of Neil Magny. The interesting facet here is that he doesn't actually have all that much of a reach advantage on Max Griffin. Max Griffin, only two or three inches shorter, two or three inches of reach disadvantage, uh, depending on where you're looking at those stats. Uh, UFC's official page, Tapology, other places, they all got slightly different numbers, but it's two or three inches. And that's a lot less than typical for Neil Magny. So I guess what it just comes down to me for me here is whether or not Neil Magny chooses to wrestle, because I actually think if he chooses to strike here, it's going to be a tough night for him. I think Max Griffin uh, is a better boxer. He's got better footwork. He's certainly got more power than Neil Magny. It'll just depend on whether or not Neil Magny chooses to take this to the ground, where I do think Max Griffin is a little bit weaker. Um, he, he tends to like give up takedowns more often, but he, his get-up ability has been really good especially since switching over to Team Alpha Male, which he now trains part-time alongside MMA Gold. Um, so, you know, that that's my technical breakdown of this. And as far as a pick, I'm actually going to go with Max Griffin, especially if you're uh, a gambler out there looking for a play. Max Griffin's number is really high. Plus 180 for a dude on a three-fight winning streak. Sure, he's taking a big step up in competition here, but I think he's the better boxer. I'm going to go with Max Griffin. Uh, and that brings me to my last fight, and, and trust me, been dreading saying these names in this second round, which is Ali Aksab Kizriev versus Denis Tuililin. Uh, Kizriev, 3-0, or 13-0, rather, making his UFC debut. He's had four different debuts canceled since winning a contract on Contender Series back in September of 2020. Uh, he also beat Husamal Paharis on the regional circuit. Tuililin, 10-5, making his debut. His last win came back in March of 2021 at UAE Warriors. I'll keep this one really short. We can end this second round with a, the simplest breakdown. Toy Lulin is a guy who got signed to the UFC because they badly needed Kizriev to make his debut after signing him a long time ago and having a whole bunch canceled. Doesn't look like he can defend a takedown. Uh, you know, we, I've seen him in the Russian circuit. I've seen him in UAE Warriors. Throws big, heavy punches, but he's going to be on his back 30 seconds into this fight, and he's going to be tapped out shortly thereafter. So I'm going to go with Kizriev by early first-round submission. And that's going to do it for the end of my second round. We'll take a quick break, and I'll be right back with the last two fights. All right, guys, so I promised you one more thing about Maroon Social that I really love, and that's being able to leave yourself notes after training sessions. 
I used to have one of those jujitsu journals. You know, you can get them from a fancy company, or you can just write them down in a notebook. Bottom line is, when you're writing things down with pen and paper and pencils, things get sweaty, and you can't read anything for shit. And after a little bit of time, that, that journal is nasty looking. Why not keep those stats on your phone? Why not keep that information on your phone? Plus, if you lose your phone, we've all lost a phone, or you lose your jiu-jitsu journal, you've got all of that saved right there in the app. So if you like to take notes while you train in jiu-jitsu or any other martial art, definitely download Maroon Social wherever it is you download apps. All right, and we are back with round number three. I'm going to put another five minutes on the clock. And we're going to start this round by talking about a fight that I'm pretty damn excited about, and that's Mark Diakasey versus Vasislav Borshev. So, uh, Diakasey on a two-fight losing streak. He lost to Rafael Fiziev and Rafael Alves, the latter of which was back in November by guillotine. Borshev, meanwhile, Slava Claus, which we've come to know and love him as, he knocked out Dakota Bush in his debut with a liver shot. That fight was only back in January, a quick turnaround, because, hey, the UFC wants to see this man again in here, and I can't blame him. So, uh, I think the interesting thing is here is this is kind of like Manolo Firo. Big step up for Slava Claus. A lot of people guessing whether or not he can handle Diakasey. And I think he can. I think that the big thing here is, uh, again, you know, I, I don't mean to keep tooting the horn of Team Alpha Male. Because, uh, believe it or not, I, I usually pick against Team Alpha Male guys. But I'm going to go two for two in picking him here. Slava, one of the things I love about him is, yes, the power punching. That's what everybody loves about Slava Claus. But the thing I like even more about him is that his ability to get up when taken down is exceptional. So even if Mark Diakasey tries to go that route, I think he's going to fail pretty miserably in holding him down. And as a result, we're going to wind up seeing Slava Claus getting more chances to strike with a guy who, personally, I don't think can strike with him. So I'm going to go with Slava Claus. I'm going to say he gets it done via knockout because, hey, that's how he gets it done. And for our last fight, we're going to break down Luis Saldana versus Bruno Souza. Saldana 1-1 one one in the UFC after winning his debut. He lost to Austin Lingo by decision last time out. That fight was in August. Bruno Souza, meanwhile, lost his debut to Melsic Bagdasarian by decision back in November in a fight that was technical but largely really calm and complacent and kind of ticky-tacky. Um, so I guess my, my breakdown for this one is, first of all, Bruno Souza has to go and be more aggressive than that. Um, especially because he's fighting a guy who's very long in Luis Saldana, very different than Melsic Bogdasarian. But even with Bogdasarian, he didn't really push the pressure. He, did, he didn't really get in Bogdasarian's face. So with Saldana, it's going to be even more important that he does that because he's going to lose a decision on the outside if he does it. I think he is actually going to do that here. And here's why, is that Saldana is less dangerous than Melsic Bogdasarian. Um, sure, he's got plenty of knockouts on his record. He's scary in his own ways. But ultimately, I just think Melsic Bogdasarian kind of scared off Bruno Souza, especially taking that fight on short notice. So I think Souza is going to be a different looking fighter here. I think that kickboxing is going to ruin the day. And I think ultimately, Luis Saldana is just not going to be able to, to hold serve with him, especially because he had a little bit of trouble with Lingo on the feet too. And I don't think of Lingo as a particularly talented kickboxer, you know, more of a, a well-rounded mixed martial artist, but he even seemed to get the best of him in kickboxing his chances. So uh, official pick here, Bruno Souza. I'll take him by decision. And that's going to do it for the end of our third round. That gives you eight fights in just a little bit over 15 minutes. I hope you guys learned a little bit of something. I'll be back in two weeks with a guest to break down the very exciting pay-per-view prelims for UFC 273. So make sure you tune in for that. And in the meantime, make sure to follow me on Twitter at Gumby Vreeland. You can catch all of my podcast interviews and whatnot there. And until next time, I'll see you then.